0: Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-Op Shop, your one-stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gussis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody.
1: Welcome to the One Stop Co-Op Shop podcast. And man, I, I don't know if I've ever said that before on the air. <laughs> Sounds good, though.
0: Yeah, it's official now. We changed the name in the thread, although I'm not sure that iTunes or anyone else has updated it, so you might still find us under Co-op cast so we, we may have to figure out how to make it officially official. But either way, we are officially here to talk about some great games, and today
1: we're looking at Kitchen Rush, a real-time game from Artipia Games.
0: Yes, and our design discussion this week, we're going to talk about sand timers in games, which doesn't happen very often, but we're going to talk about it anyway. <laughs> yeah, when Peter said that
1: the topic was sand timers, I was like, I've played two games with that, but that doesn't mean we can't discuss
0: the ramifications for design. So either way, it should be interesting. Absolutely, and I, I think I'm going to go on, off on a little bit of a tangent when we're in there too, so hang on for that moment at the end of the podcast. Cool. Cool. So, Peter, why don't you tell us a bit about the theme of
1: Kitchen Rush, although <laughs> I think the name mostly gives it away.
0: Yeah, well, if you've ever played, like, Cooking Mama or any of those app-based games where you're trying to cook meals really fast and serve customers and they want specific things and you've got to put specific food on the plate and cook it in a certain order and do all of these things, that's exactly what Kitchen Rush is. And it's made even more so by these sand timers, which are your actions – and also a full game timer, which also puts more pressure on you. So it really does feel like one of these app-based games. Although, as we'll get into later, maybe a little more difficult than those end up being. Yeah, now I'm a big
1: fan of those. Uh, not Cooking Mama specifically, but some of the ones on uh, my phone, for example. As for the way it's played, it's uh, pretty basic. You'll have some order cards, and there are a bunch of action circles all over the board. Each player has two hourglasses. And additionally, you can have a shared hourglass, and you can buy a second one of those. So that's one that uh, any player can use. And you'll put your hourglass on a space and uh, perform the action. You can't take it off again until the hourglass has run out completely. And actions run the gamut, but you can get more customers to serve. You can take a customer. You can get ingredients. You can buy ingredients. You can put them on a plate. You actually have like these little plates you grab from the sink. You can wash the plates. You can upgrade your kitchen, and you can use the oven, which actually like moves the dishes down this little track of how many times they've been cooked, because each uh, recipe requires you to cook it a certain number of times. And the more orders you can serve, and serve correctly, and if you can serve them quickly, you can get a bonus. You get money for it, you have to pay your workers, and you're just hoping after several rounds that you come out in the green, that you have made enough money to actually stay afloat. And also that you complete whatever your objective card happens to say you have to do for the game. But that's the basics of it. You're just cooking. It all, you know, fits pretty well thematically. Yeah, and each
0: of your sand timers is about, what, 20, 30 seconds? Yeah,
1: I'd say 30 sounds about right.
0: Yeah, so you flip with the sand timer, and then you can't do another action until the sand has run out. And that's the the basic gist of the game is you're you're really racing, trying to fit in as many actions as you can within this four-minute time limit. So for those who haven't listened
1: before, welcome. And our format here is that we talk about five things about the game. Peter and I each have our list. We'll go from number five to number one, and these are design choices, uh, mechanics, general things about the game we think are worth knowing. Some might be pros, some might be cons, some might be somewhere in the middle. And we'll finish with our final thoughts and then get to our design discussion. So Peter,
0: why don't you take it away with your number five? So my number five is if you mess up on a recipe, so you're taking these recipe cards, you're putting them in front of you, And if you mess up on them, you know, you check it at the end of the round just to make sure you're right, everything goes away. You've lost all the meat that you had gathered and paid for and put on the plates. Even if you're off by one spice throughout the course of making this recipe, you have to trash the entire recipe and start all over from the beginning. So not only do you lose prestige, but you've also, again, lost all the money you've spent on all the ingredients that were on the plate at the time that you basically have to discard it and start all over. So for me, this is, I mean, it's just a straight up con. There's nothing good about this. It's just frustrating when you've done all this work just to find out you're off by one thing. Now, I guess the only pro that could come of this is it does put pressure on you to make sure you're getting the recipe right but it is frustrating at the time. It's not one of those laugh-out-loud moments like Galaxy Trucker where you've messed up, ha-ha-ha, your whole ship got blown up. No, no, no. I mean, this game is so tight that when you mess up a recipe, it's just frustrating at the end. So that's my number five is, if you fail, you have to totally reset that one recipe. Now, to be fair, there are some mitigating factors. Uh, If it's something you can
1: fix easily, like adding a spice or just cooking it one more time, the game does let you keep what's there. But you're right that if you make a a major mistake, the entire thing goes away. And that relates to my number five, which is uh, a mix. I won't say it's a total con, but it is related to kind of the challenge level of the game. And that's kind of focused on how you make money in the game. So for, I think, beginner players and even moderate players, you know, I won't say I'm a master of the game, but I'm decent at it. I find it very hard to stay afloat and keep my money in the positive. And that's because you have to pay really heavy wages to your workers at the end of each round. So on the positive side, it does feel very challenging. You know, even like having some money at the end feels like a victory, which it's funny you mentioned Galaxy Trucker Peter. I would compare it to that, where just like surviving the trip, even if you don't win, still feels like you did something well. But on the negative side, it's kind of demoralizing to make no money or to go into the red every round. And when you can't pay your workers, they get taken out for the next round. And it is pretty easy to get them back. But not having, you know, when you only have like two sand timers plus a shared one that you can use, not having an entire one of your sand timers for even half a round is really not the best way to make the game fun because you're just kind of sitting there taking way fewer actions. So I can see the game being challenging and that appealing to some gamers, but for me it kind of leans slightly toward the con, kind of like yours, Peter, in that I don't enjoy how tough it is to just make money in the
0: game. More on that later, but one thing I will touch on, because I didn't write notes on it, is you said it's easy to get it back, and it is. It costs you three to keep your worker, and it only costs you two to buy them back. But when you buy them back, you not only have to put a sand timer in there to pay for it, you also have to flip that sand timer over, so you're losing out on basically a minute of actions when you do that. So while it's easy to get it back, it isn't easy to keep it, and you are losing quite a bit by doing that. Yeah, and there's totally a possibility of a profit spiral, you know, or not profit,
1: I guess, (laughs) a money spiral, where losing all that productivity to get the sand timer back means that you don't actually make enough money to pay those workers again, and you might lose them uh, right away.
0: Yep, more on that later. But my number four is it's easy to see what's going on they do a really good job with the graphic design. If you need a meat, if you need a cheese, if you need a bread, it all looks like what it's supposed to. Even the plates, there are four sizes of plates. So when you take a meal, it may have any of these four sizes of plates, or it may even have two plates that you have to work on at the same time. And all the plates are different shapes too. So like the level four is an oval shape. The level three is a circle. The level two is a square. So. It's easy to differentiate the plates from each other, and I really like how the graphic design really helps you. And we've talked about this in real-time games before. It's got to be really easy to see things at a glance. Now, sometimes the spots on the board aren't always the easiest. You know, you may mix up one space for another. Like, when I'm buying spices, I always go want to wanna go to the spice place, even though that's not the place. So there, that can be a little bit confusing sometimes to learn, but... All the actions are pretty straightforward, and if you've had anybody who's played the game before, really most of the people can focus on cooking the meals, and one person can take those more complicated actions. So I do think, as a real-time game, we've said before, you have to make it pretty easy for people to get into. I think they've actually done a pretty good job of that.
1: Yeah, I generally agree with you, although I'll talk a bit more about that later. My number four is focus on the co-op nature of the game, and it's again a mix of I feel like this game is weaker in the cooperation than a lot of the other real-time co-ops that I really enjoy. Now, on the positive side, you can sort of take roles in the game, and especially, like Peter said, with more complicated actions. So often, we'll have one person being kind of the maitre d' and dealing with uh, getting more customers in. And sometimes we'll have just one other player doing most of the buying and players kind of shouting what they need to him or her. But... The game also completely allows you to just play your own game if you really want to. You can purchase your own ingredients, you can make your own dish entirely, and in a way, because the plate and stuff is all in front of you, and you're the only one who can kind of see your order, you're the one who has to take charge of your dish. And that's fine. I think some people will really enjoy that. Like, maybe they don't want to kind of worry about the other players as much, they just kind of want to do their own thing. But, compared to other real-time games like... Escape, where you need to run to the other players and rescue them with your gold symbols. Magic Maze, where you're working right with each other every second to move uh, characters together. Space Alert, where you can shoot a guy, but it might not be that effective, and you have to get someone else to come along and help you uh, shoot your shot at the exact same round. All of those have really great cooperation, and I feel like while Kitchen Rush has the possibility of cooperation, it's not really baked into the design much, and you can pretty much do your own thing. I will say uh, that the shared cooks are great. I think that's a really clever mechanic, and we'll talk about that later in the hourglass discussion, I'm sure. But it's not enough for me to push this game into what I would call a, a
0: deep and involved co-op between players. Yeah, I, again, I'm going to talk about that later, although it may have a little bit different spin on it than you do. But my number three, not getting to anything I said we'd talk about later, so I guess you know what my number two and one are, is that there is plenty to do in this game. And that's one complaint I had about the other hourglass game, we or sand timer game we played, which was A Tale of Pirates. Early on, it didn't feel like there was enough to do, and you just ended up sitting around sometimes and... You know, you had a bunch of time where you're like, I don't even know what to do at this point. Or they even had that bed action which was like a well if you don't know what to do, go ahead and go to the bed and something'll pop up. There is never a moment in this game where there is nothing to do. You have plates to wash, you have ingredients to buy. You have storage units to go get ingredients from, you have new orders to get, you have to get customers in. There's like a hundred things you need to do in the game and you're limited in action. So like a lot of Euro games, there's not enough time to do everything you need to do. This game definitely has that in spades. So I will say there's never been a time in this game where I'm like, I have no idea what I should do next. There is always something that you could be doing.
1: Yeah, I agree. That that actually goes right into my number three, but it's a mix for me. And I'm not going to say a ton here, because it's focused on the hourglasses, and that's in our entire design discussion. But I'll say that on a positive, the hourglass kind of limiting of actions adds tension to the game and gives you tough choices. And it also organizes the game better than a lot of real-time games, because you're kind of putting the hourglass down and then just sitting for a second you don't have the kind of chaos of a lot of real-time games. But on the other hand, I mean, you mentioned A Tale of Pirates, and we'll certainly talk about that later in our design discussion. But I felt like in A Tale of Pirates, I didn't have stuff to do while I just waited for my hourglasses to count down. And I feel the exact same way here, especially when I'm cooking my dishes. I know what I need to do next. I know I need to go to the oven three times. I know I need to get these ingredients So whenever I put my sand timers down, I'm just sitting there waiting for sand to run out, and I don't necessarily find that to be a fully engaging process. So kind of a pro, kind of a con, but yeah, I mean, even though you say there's
0: a lot to do, I still feel like sometimes I'm just sitting there waiting... Yeah, I guess I felt like during that downtime, quote unquote, I was looking at what the next recipes were going to be, what food we had in the storage unit, do we have enough food to do that or not? So I guess I was looking one step ahead to see what we needed if I did feel a moment of downtime. But certainly you can get in that moment where you're like, look for too long and then realize your hourglass has been run out for the last 10 seconds. So I mean, it's a pro and a con, it could work both ways. But I feel like there is stuff to do if you want to, but then it could cost you in the long run if you, if you get too engrossed in it.
1: Yeah, you know, that's fair. I, I think maybe I'll, I'll make my number three more of a, like, pro-leaning mix. Because you're right, you, you can definitely find things to look at. I don't think I ever just, well, rarely will I just stare at
0: my hourglasses waiting for them to run out. I can be thinking about other stuff. So, yeah, good point. Well, and you can even look in the spice bag, even though it's a bag that's hidden and you can't see what's inside of it. You're allowed to pick that up and look inside at any point, but it's just a manual dexterity thing that kind of takes a little bit of time while you're doing it. And so if you're getting spices, that's another thing you can do that, uh, that kind of helps deal with that downtime as well. So there's definitely like, like we both said now, a couple things you can do, but my number two is exactly the opposite of what you said earlier. I actually think this game requires quite a bit of teamwork in order to win, in order to be successful. Saying that, I haven't won this game very often. It is a very <laughs> difficult game. So I feel like when our teamwork isn't good, we don't do very well. But when we're working like on the same page, that's when we've been much more successful than we have in other times. As you were saying earlier, though, somebody has to get more orders. Somebody has to do the buying. And if your sand timer's not up, and let's say you went to the refrigerator put some stuff on your plate and you realize you don't have the right stuff, you need somebody else to buy this stuff. Because once you're in that refrigerator, if you take another action to do something else, you can't go back in the refrigerator without taking another action. So if I'm in there and I realize, uh-oh. I don't have enough meat in the refrigerator at this time. I need somebody else to go buy that for me. So I think they've actually done some really clever things to make people use teamwork in this game. I think using that shared sand timer, it's like sometimes somebody needs to cook more. And especially as you're ticking down to the end of the round, you need to really figure out who's going to do those extra actions. Or maybe we just say at the beginning of the game, and this is the other part about the teamwork, between rounds, you're allowed to talk as much as you want. You can look at all the recipes. You can look at what spices you have in in the bag you can see how much money you have okay at the beginning of the round we need to do this this and this and this and i almost feel like that's necessary before you start the round because there is so much stuff that if you just start the round and try to figure it out then you're going to be behind the eight ball already and this game is very tight and so i do feel like there's a lot of teamwork and a lot of cooperation that need to go into it so for me this was a big pro i really like the teamwork that was required to be successful
1: yeah, I mean, that, that's all fair. I didn't quite get that same feeling from it, but you're right that, like, being able to buy stuff while somebody's in the kitchen, they can immediately take it out. There certainly are ways to cooperate. Again, it's its more a comparison to other games, which maybe isn't entirely fair, but I feel like cooperation is absolutely required in those other games, and here it's just, like, you can do it. And maybe you will be even more successful if you do, but I, I don't know. It was just a little bit of a sticking point for me. Sure. But... My number two is a straight-up con, the only one I have on my list, and a really big con. This uh, almost became my number one and was slightly edged out. This game takes forever to set up, and there are so many bits. (laughs) There are so many ingredients of so many different types and all the spices and all this stuff. And this seems like a petty thing to kind of focus on for my number two, but especially with real-time games and quick real-time games, this game is very fast it just seems such a mismatch that the game is so tough to set up and take so long. And I really haven't found a good solution. I put uh, th- everything in a plano box and tried, like, that way it's organized and all the ingredients are already, like, set in their place, but then nobody could reach in and grab the ingredients <laughs> in a meaningful way. And even when you do have it set up, it's tough to make it accessible to everybody at the table. Like, for everyone to be able to reach the ingredients, be able to reach the spice bag, I, I just, I find it a very fiddly mess to get the game going. And again, for a quick real-time, it is a major problem. It has uh, really impacted how often I get this game to the table. And Colin is the one who recommended the game, and even he said he'll only play it when he can set it up ahead of time and like not have to actually do it while people are waiting to play the game. So I think uh, going in, you should know this is an expensive and long-to-set-up game for what is usually a fairly cheap and quick uh, real-time genre.
0: Well, I've got a solution for you, Mike, and I actually did it to your copy. I literally put all the meat, vegetables, bread, everything in one bag, and you just dump it out at the beginning of the game. Now, certainly you have to look for, you know, you need four of this, four of that, whatever else, and I agree, that part takes a little bit. But uh, yeah, you had it in a bunch of different bags, and I just put them all in one bag because it made it way easier to set up. I just dump them out at the beginning of the game.
1: All right. I mean, again, it's going to make the game harder trying to find the stuff, but I guess that works.
0: To be honest, that's never really been a problem. Like, that, that has not been the thing that has slowed me down ever. So just as a, you know, rule of thumb for those of you out there, I don't think it's a big deal if you just mix all the food together. Like, I don't think that's a big deal. Now, it still takes a while to set up. Don't get me wrong. There's still several steps to set up. But I don't think that that is much of a problem as one might originally think it would be. Well, we're disagreeing a lot here, even though we're saying kind of the same thing. Yeah, it's it's, it's
1: definitely interesting. And, and it's it's kind of interesting to note, because uh, we've had people in our Slack, for example, mention that sometimes Peter and, and I are maybe two on the same page, and we see the same thing with Steve and Elijah sometimes. And usually we're playing the games together, because <laughs> we live near each other and we like to play games together. But for this one, I think we only played this together,
0: what, once? Is that right? I think once, or unless we played it twice in the same night, but it was definitely only one night of playing it.
1: Yeah, yeah, so I played it a bunch with my family in solo, Peter's played it solo with his family, so yeah, it's... I guess we do get less groupthink when we're having our own play experiences instead of being together, so just something to
0: think about. So I'm not allowed to play with you anymore, is that what that's right. am saying? That's here? right, yeah, you're you're not invited to my house anymore. <laughs> All right. So my number one, and it's a big con for me, and you mentioned it earlier. I was shocked that it was your number five, is the need to pay for your workers creates this death spiral that is almost impossible to get out of. If you fail to make enough money in any round to pay for all of your workers, you are so far behind the eight ball. It's like a poor get poorer situation that I don't understand why the cost was so high. I mean, I guess I do to some degree because they've given you lots of things to do with your money. You can buy ingredients with your money. You buy spices with your money. You're buying upgrades with your money. And maybe when your workers cost less, they felt like you had too much money and you could kind of buy whatever you want. But I would have much rather they set that cost per worker lower or not had one at all and given you much more freedom with your money. And then at the end of the game, hey, If you fail to reach your goal, oh well, Like, just set a higher goal. I don't understand why they created this situation where if you fail in even one round, you put yourself behind the eight ball, and now it's harder to make enough money to get past the next round. It's like this spiral that goes on and on that I just don't understand. It makes the game frustrating, it makes it not fun, and I love so many elements in this game, but when just this death spiral of money, and it seems to happen every game in at least one round for us, and again, maybe we're just not good at the game, and maybe the difficulty's just off, because we're not playing past easy difficulty. We're playing on the easiest difficulty the game has to offer, and we can't get past the beginning, and I haven't played the game once. I've played it probably at least 10 times, and I beat it maybe twice out of those 10 times, and it's not even like I beat it later on. I beat it like one of the like the third or fourth time I played it and like the seventh time I played it. And then I've lost after that. So it's not even like something you're getting better at necessarily. Although I think you do definitely get better, but I don't know. It's just one of those things where I think the beginning difficulty is set too hard and this death spiral is just not fun. So I don't know why they have this feeding your workers, paying your workers mechanic, but I wish they would have taken it out or made it much less punishing and made something else change the difficulty of the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said. It was higher for me, because, or I guess lower for me, because I didn't experience it very often. I think I probably played solo more than you did, and I got pretty good at the solo game. But it's so frustrating when it happens, so I, I totally agree with you. But hey, to end on a slightly positive note, my number one is a pro, and again, it beat out my dismay with the uh, setup for the game. And that is uh, just purely that cooking in the game is super fun and super thematic. And it kind of goes a bit to the bits. And uh, they have like these big chunky cardboard plates. And you actually like get the plate and you put the ingredients on it and all the the recipes. You know, I, I like to cook quite a bit and I like to watch cooking shows and things. And I'm like, oh, I've heard of that. I, I've made that, you know, and like I'll, I'll put the the ingredients on there. And, and sure, they're kind of fibbing it a bit, like making three ingredients represent an entire dish. But you can kind of get the sense of it. And uh, the spices are fairly abstract, and you have to, like, reach in a bag in them. And, like, why wouldn't you know what's in your own spice, uh, you know, (laughs) cabinet or whatever? But all that being said, it's just so much fun to, like, cook your dishes and uh, put them together and have them on the little plate. Uh, That kind of tactile experience still makes the game a lot of fun for me, even with the—I mean, everything else on my list was a mix or a con. I didn't have a single pro besides this. But it does definitely elevate the game. Uh, because they, they put the
0: time in with all the bits to make it look beautiful and uh, fun as you play it. Well, I'm going to go first on final thoughts here because this game did frustrate me. And, I you know, it was funny. We talked about it on the last episode we did, I think, where I said I just got angry during this game and I was, you know, yelling at my kids, hey, you need to move faster, whatever, whatever. And then my daughter still wanted to play it and my son and I played it afterward and he has a fun time, like, talking about the recipe and everything else. But the frustration of falling behind on the money spiral and the frustration of failing a recipe and needing to reset it. And this includes like, hey, I forgot to put a meat in and I started cooking it. Well, you know right then and there that you've already failed to do the recipe. And again, you have to discard all the things that were on that recipe. And that might be fine for adults. And, you know, you said you got really good at playing it solo and that's fine. But if you want to play it with a family, which I think is the best thing for this. My wife was super interested in trying to play it. But it's just such a difficult experience. And it's something where I feel like you almost need to play it one-on-one with somebody first to help ease them into it or play it in a non-real-time manner just so they understand what's going on in the game and then maybe move it to a difficult or more and more difficult level. I just wish they would have started that way. I just wish they would have had an entry-level way to play the game because real-time games, it's really hard to bring people along with you. One of the things we said we loved about co-op games is you're bringing people with you. And this one makes it really hard because it's all happening in real time and you kind of have to like, no, 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 you need to do this. You need to do this. Unless you're stopping the timer, like there's no way to kind of convey that in a real time manner without basically yelling at everybody at the table. So that was the one thing for me. I really wanted to love this game, and you're right. The cooking part, it just feels so fun to do. A lot of the mechanics in this are just so fun. I just wish there was a entry-level way to play the game. And, you know, we could come up with a variant for it, and then maybe it would be one of my favorite games. I just, I just feel like I wish they would have done that.
1: Yeah, this game is totally crying out for either, like, a programmed approach, like Magic Maze has, where you can play, like, with some elements removed and then slowly add them in. Or for, like, a family version, like uh, Flashpoint Fire Rescue has. Either of those would have made it a lot better. And I'll pretty much, you know, we had very different lists. And in a way, some things hit us differently. But in the end, my final thoughts are almost exactly the same as yours. I wanted to love the game. I find it frustrating. I find it tough to set up. It's weird. It's it's like they, <laughs> it's like they wanted to evoke the reality of like running a restaurant and how tough that is to do, but they forgot to make it as fun as it could have been. And I, coming back to the the idea of app based games, those games are usually super easy at the beginning, and you feel great. You can just like run your restaurant like nobody's business. And yeah, you're, you're right. This game just needed that. So, yeah, I was going to say I'm going to try to trade or sell my copy, probably. And I thought I could just give it to you, but it sounds like you don't really want it either. So (laughs) I guess I'll need to figure out something
0: else to do with it. Yeah, and it's not a bad game. I mean, that's that's the one thing I want to say. Like, there is a great game in there. Like, really fun. It just, if they took out the frustration. And I'm so frustrated, I don't want to spend time on fixing it.
1: Yeah, and I will say, uh, still, thanks, Colin, for the recommendation. And I think in one of our end-of-the-year episodes, uh, this was, like, really—oh, no, no, it was our, like, whole co-op cast ranking episode, which we'll have to do another one of us one of these days. But, yeah, there, uh, Colin had this on his list, and it was fairly high for him. Uh, I don't think the ranking of it would have changed too much, because it sounds like both both me and Peter are not too high on the game, so—oh, well, too bad.
0: Yeah, and it's funny because we know with a lot of dexterity games, that can turn people off. And again, I wish I just was able to get better, but with the limitation of the timer. And it's funny, thinking about it, if it's 30-second timer and you have four minutes, you should have 30 seconds of free time because there's no way you're going to turn it exactly at the right moment. So you should have 30 seconds of free time, in theory, to kind of do whatever you want and like think or, or take extra time to do certain actions, but at the end of the game, I end up just staring at the sand timers. Even though I said you don't do that, you kind of have to do it at the end of each round because it's like, well, do I want to start something new? Well, if I do that, that's going to put me behind. So, you know, that's the only time I stare at the sand timers. And I'm like, gosh, I wish I had done something a little bit faster. But I don't know even know if that's possible.
1: Yeah, so overall, one-stop co-op shop given Kitchen Rush a fairly mixed reception. Uh, maybe some of you will love uh, the things we've talked about, but... Sounds like for both of us, kind of a caution, uh, not even really a recommend, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, unless you love this kind of stuff. I mean, I like real-time games. If you're going to get a real-time game, I'd say do 5-Minute Dungeon or 5-Minute Marvel or even A Tale of Pirates. I really enjoyed that one, even though it almost starts too slow, ironically, and I guess that'll lead right into our Sam timer discussion, but that one starts a little too slow with not enough to do, but I'd, I'd rather have that then be frustrated on the other end where it can't even beat, like, the easiest level. Yeah, and I'll recommend my
1: favorites, Escape, Space Alert, Magic Maze, any of those over this one, definitely.
0: Cool. All right, well, let's get into Sandheimer games. So, we've played two of them, and I know there are some... <laughs> <laughs> we, we have a deep knowledge of this mechanic that we
1: are ready to share with all of you.
0: Well, I mean, let's talk about it from the pros and cons that we've seen. And I think the big one we've talked about a lot is... Having enough for people to do, but not having it be overwhelming, I think that's a big key. And even ramping people up, I think, is a good way to start doing that. Yeah, and that does jump into my biggest pro of sand
1: timers, and that is that it cuts some of the chaos of real-time games. And I think theoretically, games with sand timers could be the easiest real-time games to teach and play out of any of them for casual gamers. Now, Kitchen Rush is not a great example of that, but I think they've designed a lot of stuff on top of the sand timers to kind of force that to be the case. But, uh, you know, a lot of real-time games where you're just doing things constantly, you don't really have time to explain things to each other. You don't really have time to help each other out. But here, theoretically, you should have, you know, with uh, games with sand timers, you should have 30 seconds, a minute, depending on how the time works out, to kind of check in with each other, to give suggestions. So I do think that sand timers offer a accessibility to real time games that might not be there as much with other ways of kind of handling the timing of the game, especially when a game just lets you do as much as you want all the time, nonstop. Uh, yeah. So they can be good in that way.
0: So we played two different games. One was the tale of pirates and one was kitchen rush, as we said, and they do the sand timers a little bit differently in the tale of pirates. You put the action down and then when the timer is up, you are allowed to do the action. And then in Kitchen Rush, as soon as you put the Sand Timer down, you do the action immediately. Do you have a preference one way or another?
1: Yeah, I I definitely prefer Kitchen Rush's way of doing it. I think I like A Tale of Pirates better as a game overall. But I don't want to remember. Like, it's enough to take off the Sand Timer as kind of an activity for me to force myself to do. I don't want to also remember later to do the action. I like to do the action as I put the thing down.
0: Yeah, I agree with you on that, and I also think it's part of the reason that we had a lot more staring around time in A Tale of Pirates. It's like, okay, what am I going to do with my next action? Or like, come on, Sand Timer, spin down. Because of the way you do it in Kitchen Rush, when you put the action down, you take the action immediately, a lot of that 30 seconds of time is taken up doing the action itself. So I do think there is a pro to that. So I'd say if you're going to use the Sand Timer, make sure you're letting people do the action and kind of waste some of that sand timer time doing the action so they're not just sitting there staring at a sand timer which actually makes me think i guess it would make a tale of pirates a little bit easier because of what you just said
1: but you could easily just backward map that onto that game and have people do the actions when they place the sand timer down yeah no absolutely um so another pro is that i do think there is an inherent tension in watching the sand run out and Also in kind of managing, and this comes up more in Kitchen Rush, but looking around, figuring out what actions you want to do, and you've mentioned this, but then also checking back in on your sand timers, and especially if you have, you know, more than two, like kind of checking on each of them, and you want to be ready when each of them runs out, but you also want to be planning your actions, and I think kind of that's where you do get some chaos, some sort of mental chaos in the game, even if the game itself is not as chaotic as some other real-time games, because your brain is trying to monitor and perceive several things at once. And I think that's a lot of fun with uh, sand timers.
0: Yeah. And now that I think about it, Tale of pirates, you only had one sand timer, if I'm remembering correctly, two, you did eventually end up getting a neutral one the way you have in kitchen rush. But maybe that's another way to make kitchen rush a little bit easier at first is just give people one sand timer. And that way they don't have to manage multiple things at once. Although, That also, again, leads to more downtime because as that sand timer is taken down, you only have one to look at. You don't have multiple things you're trying to manage. So I guess if you want to make the game feel more frantic, you can give people two or even three sand timers. But if you want to make it more thinky in its real-time nature, you just reduce the number of sand timers people have.
1: Yeah, and I'll kind of go against that a bit because one of my cons of sand timers related to that is that they do, in a way, ha- like enforce a limitation on the skill growth in a real-time game. Because something I love about real-time games is that because you are not limited as much as you are in other games in what you can do, I think the difference between beginner and master in those games can be much wider. And, you know, master might not mean that you're actually like some kind of genius. It might just mean that your reflexes are faster for what the game is asking you to do. I uh, did a play of Magic Maze on my channel recently, and that's a game that, if you're amazing at it, you can do ridiculous things that a beginner could never do, because literally there is no limit on how quickly you do your actions besides how quickly your brain works and how quickly you move your hands. Now, sand timers take that away because—and don't get me wrong, somebody is going to be a billion times better at Kitchen Rush than I am because they can kind of manage the board and stuff better—but the sand timers themselves limit how quickly you can do actions. So there is less of a jump in a skilled player than a non-skilled player, and maybe that's a good thing for cooperation, and for you to like kind of get along with each other better. But I like that growth and becoming better, and I feel like sand timers kind of force me to never be as good. So what I would say is kind of to what you just said about uh, maybe one sand timer being better than two in some situations. I think neither Kitchen Rush nor Tale of Pirates has enough sand timers. I would rather have like three or four. So it's actually tough for me to keep them all doing something and tough for me to keep them all in motion. I would uh, prefer them, in Kitchen Rush, for example, I would much prefer them take away the the major difficulty in that money is so tight and you make such a tiny uh, profit margin over, off of each dish you cook and your workers cost so much. I'd rather them take all that away and instead have you have a ton of sand timers to deal with and make it more of like a, uh, a mental and... Uh, physical activity that you have to get better at to actually keep everything going in a meaningful way.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting way of thinking about it and certainly haven't seen anybody do it so far in the again, two sandtimer games we've played, but I think <laughs> that would be a certainly a way to increase the skill level of the games. And certainly there is a skill level, but you're right, you're going to hit a skill cap because you're going to be limited to some degree. And I guess you would the more sand timers you had, too. You're going to be limited by your physical ability there. But then it's a mental and physical challenge rather than just a mental challenge. So that would be an interesting way of changing it up. So do you have any other pros or cons? Because I've got a couple more on my list. Well, I was thinking that both of the games we had had that neutral sand timer that anybody at the table can use. Do you like that? Do you not like it? Oh, I, I love that. I,
1: I think any Sand Timer game should definitely consider having that in it. Because already, again, I think Sand Timers are going to tend to lower cooperation a bit. Just because you have to wait for your own actions to go and you are very focused on the actions you're taking. So the idea of some shared Sand Timers is great. In fact, I'd, I'd like to have more of them. You know, like I'd I'd love a game where we each had one sand timer, then there are like eight shared sand timers, and we have to really talk constantly about who should be using what, and, and, you know,
0: stop somebody from using them too often, and kind of figure out how the team's going to all use them together. I think that would be another way to increase the skill level of the game. I do find, though, that the same person tends to use it over and over, and... So that could be frustrating for some of the other people who need to get stuff done too, where they could fall behind. So that is a way where certainly you can have teamwork. But I also think again, in these real time settings, sometimes the pressure gets a little bit higher when you're talking about real time. And so it could also be a source of frustration. So I'm not sure whether I like them or not. But I do think it would be interesting if you did just have one or two of your own and a bunch of neutral ones. I, I think that Could make it more interesting as long as, again, everybody always has something that they can do. As long as there's enough sand timers to keep everyone happy, I think that would be fine.
1: Sure. Uh, Going into probably my biggest con with sand timers, and we've already mentioned it a bit so I won't spend too long on it, but that is that there can be downtime, and I think there will always be downtime in a game using sand timers. And to be fair, there's downtime in a lot of uh, real time games. Like five minute dungeons, sometimes you just can't play a card and you got to wait for other players to draw and use their abilities. Magic Maze, uh, as Peter has remarked when we've played in the past, sometimes, like, you just, you know, if you're the person who moves left, there just won't be a need to move left for a little while and you'll just kind of be sitting there watching other people move. But for those games, it tends to be like a five to ten second pause, I find. And that pause feels way longer because the games are so tense, but, you know, it's still pretty short in the relative scheme of things. But with sand timers, you can have 30 seconds to a minute of downtime, depending on how the sand timers work. And I think that can be a bridge too far. So I think you want to do something, again, I would prefer more sand timers so that it becomes less of an issue. Or like Peter said, have the action come right after the sand timers so that you're involved while the sand timers running down. Or even a uh, you know, kind of uh, almost like sand timers acting in the same way as like phases worked in the XCOM app-based game uh, board game from Fantasy Flight, where like maybe you flip your sand timer and you can do some activity during the entirety of that sand timer, so that the sand timer is not like downtime until you can act again, but it is the timer for your action. I think that would be a cool kind of twist on the mechanic. But in any case, I do think any designer using sand timers should really watch that they are doing something to make. Uh, the downtime not too bad
0: well yeah and games like mechs vs. minions does use a sand timer at the beginning of the round to limit the amount of time you have to overthink things and i think uh, even galaxy trucker does that as well um but a lot of times i tend not to use those when they are an element of limiting your time so maybe not the best mechanic there because i tend not to use them when they are available
1: <laughs> yeah although having them available doesn't really hurt i guess uh, what do you think, Peter? Because I, 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 I'm sort of intrigued by this. What do you think of the idea of like the sand timer becoming
0: your time to act instead of your time until you can act again? Yeah, I mean, I don't mind it. Certainly. I think there could be some interesting things you could do with it. Yeah, and there are even party games that use like timers to, you know, count their way down. And, you know, at the end of the round, however many you've guessed right. Is how many points you get. So I, I don't mind that it's certainly been done before. I don't know if it's been done in a co-op game. I mean, except for escape. I mean, if you want to think escape curse of the temple, I mean, I guess anything where you have a timer for the game could be considered just a long sand timer, but no, not micro actions the way you were referring to it as. So that I mean, that's certainly potentially some design space out there for people. So that's uh, all the things I had on my list. Peter, did you have anything else to mention? Well, the only thing I want to go into, and it has nothing to do with sand timers, so let's give some final advice for sand timers, and then I'm going to rant a little bit before we uh, sign off and say goodbye.
1: Ooh, Peter rant. That's exciting. Uh, Sure, final advice. Uh, Again, give people something to do. Try to find a balance between complicated and not complicated to keep the experienced
0: gamers interested and to make it accessible. Uh, What else do you have? For me, the big thing is It's a real-time game. Keep the action simple. And we've talked about this when we talked about real-time. Make it obvious and simple and make things... And again, this one thing Kitchen Rush did great. Make things obvious and easy to do in a fast manner. Don't do things to trip people up. Don't make purple and blue look like each other as colors and make that the puzzle of the game is trying to figure out which one's purple and which one's blue because you don't know the lighting people are in. You don't know anything else. I would say make the actions easy to do and obvious and that way people don't get frustrated as far as playing the game. They'll have fun playing it, which I certainly did with Kitchen Rush. It was just the in-between round stuff that frustrated me.
1: All right. Well, Peter, uh, rant away.
0: I'm not going to rant too much here, but I'm going to say I do want to cover this either in its own episode, detached from a game, or cover it in a game that we have coming up. And hopefully one of the games coming up will lead to this discussion, which is difficulty in games. And I know there's a lot of discussion about difficulty as far as co-ops go. And some people think they should be super difficult. And, you know, I never want to win it the first time because then the game's too easy and it has nothing to offer. And some people go the other way. They want it to be really easy the first time and build in complexity. And I have very strong opinions on this. And I really do think you should give people an easy first experience. And, again, this is from people who have made this mistake ourselves. But if you're designing co-ops, don't make it yourself. Give people an entry point. Look at Pandemic. Look at Forbidden Island. Their easy levels are pretty easy, and people are going to beat it. Yes, there needs to be tension there still. You don't want to take away all the tension, but people need to be able to beat your game the first time or at least have a feeling that they could have beaten the game. And so I think this just comes down to playtesting and things like that. And we can get into like design philosophies in, again, a whole other episode. But I do feel like if you get the difficulty level wrong on a co-op, it's just going to bomb it and it's going to make it really hard and people aren't going to want to play it. And so, uh, you know, again, we could talk about lots of things to do and and ways to make it easier and harder to play your game. But, you know, that's just my rant for now, because Kitchen Rush, I want to like it so much but it just frustrates me that the difficulty is off. I agree completely, and as Peter mentioned, we
1: majorly messed this up, I would say pretty majorly, with uh, our first official release, Salvation Road. It's still a great game, and we have uh, put up a pretty much official easy starter variant on BGG, so you can check that out. But yeah, that game is very challenging, and I I wish, in retrospect, that we had had that easy uh, mode right out of the box. And I'll kind of bring up a related thing. A lot of people use Dark Souls, the video game series, uh, Demon Souls, Dark Souls, Bloodborne is related to it, as kind of an example of how hard games can sell and people can really love games that are so challenging and punishing that it just knocks them down and really destroys them. But even with Dark Souls, which I love the initial monsters you fight are really easy. And yes, you might get killed by like one of them just by being dumb, but if you've played a video game before, you're pretty much going to crush the first area pretty easily. Eventually, you'll get to some bosses that are incredibly punishing. You might have to fight ten times before you beat them. But if you played Dark Souls and could not defeat a single monster for the first like 20 to 30 minutes of gameplay, I probably would put the game down. So even games that are kind of held up as... Uh, the ideal of tough, tough, tough games, still have some kind of easy mode or easy learning curve to start out to at least keep you interested. So, you know, video games figure that out. Board games, we should do the same thing. Get people involved in your game, let them learn the mechanics in a friendly atmosphere, and then give them the tools to increase the difficulty as much as needed.
0: Yeah, and this is just a matter of playtesting. It really is. And playtesting outside of your group. So again, I think we should have a whole topic on this, but You know, make sure that you aren't the only ones playing the game. And I feel like sometimes publishers are like, wow, this is really easy. What should we do to increase the difficulty? And then they're like, oh, well, we can just make this tweak. And they do it without playing it anymore. I mean... The other example I could think of this was Rescue Polar Bears, which we got sent as a review copy. And we never did review because I was frustrated with that one, too, because the difficulty seemed off on that. And you could tell they made last-second tweaks to the difficulty because there were references to having more helicopters, which was your kind of resource in the game, basically life points. There were references to having more than you had in the game. So there was clearly a time in the game where you had more than what you started with. So it was a little bit frustrating. They go, wow, this is just way too easy. It shouldn't be this easy. And I feel like they're like, well, we could just take away some life points and it'll make it harder. Well, yeah, it sure will, but doesn't mean (laughs) it makes it right or fun. So that's frustrating to me too, when you could tell there was a time when the game was easier and they felt like it was just too easy. And then you play it and it's like, well, clearly the difficulty's off. And I feel like they didn't even play test it. They're just like, oh, it's easy enough. Take away a couple of life and they should be fine. Yeah, and one final point related to that
1: kind of for those uh, those budding game designers out there. Remember that playtesting, and this is something we've had to learn too, remember that playtesting is about the experience of the game as much as it is about the uh, balance of the game. And if you're a designer who plays your own games like we do, you're going to naturally get bored with the game and want more challenge and want new stuff and want more things to think about because you've played it 150 times. But you still need to have blind playtesting and, you know, playtesting with people who have who are experiencing a game for the first time and see if they find it easy, see if they find it enjoyable. Because easy doesn't necessarily mean not enjoyable. I've talked about how I'll play Sentinels of the Multiverse against, like, the most basic villain, Baron Blade, and know I'm going to win. Like, I'll go in 99% sure I will win that game, but it can still be fun to have the experience of it. So make sure your game is fun and enjoyable for new players to play, and then, you know, again, have modes to make it harder. Sorry, I, I kind of feel like I'm
0: repeating myself, so I'll, I'll just let this be the end. Sure, well, we kind of went off on a second design discussion there, and again, I do think it is something I want to cover more later on. And again, maybe just its own episode, where we just talk about difficulty scaling and how to do it and what we think is right. And again, this is just our opinions. There are many, many people who have opinions out there, but I know we spend a lot of time playing co-ops and designing co-ops, so take it for what it's worth.
1: All right, everyone, we should have some pretty cool releases coming out for our upcoming episodes. I know we're going to cover Lord of the Rings, Journeys of Middle-Earth soon. Uh, Brook City should be coming soon. I think we're going to do Midara before they do uh, another Kickstarter for that game. So a lot of uh, big releases.
0: Yeah, it feels like it's that time of the year. The beginning of the year, every year, all the big releases were done. You know, Gen Con or Essen, the end of the year. We kind of played our way through all of those. And now the beginning of the year tends to be a little slow in the board game industry, which is fine. And so that's the time where we're going to get to play some of these older games and share them with you guys as well.
1: All right, go uh, check out our Slack. The link is in the show notes. We'd love to see you over there and talk about some games with you. Uh, check out our YouTube channel, One Stop Co-op Shop. We've got some plays and reviews recently up there, and always more stuff coming. And yeah, thanks
0: for listening, and we'll see you at the next stop. Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop, where you can get great game playthroughs and 5 and 5 reviews. If you want to have a conversation with us, the best place to reach out to all of us is on the Slack channel. Links are in the show notes. You can also talk to us on Twitter at MVP Board Games or email us at MVPboardgames at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us again, and we'll see you next week with another Top 5 list. But either way, we are officially here to talk about some great games, and
1: today we're looking at Kitchen Rush, a real-time game from Artipia Games, I believe. Is that right?
0: I have no idea. Why are you asking me?
1: I'll look it up. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I got it. Artipia Games. Take that, internet. Hey, Peter. Hey, what? Edit the podcast. I'm gonna do that. You can still do your thing. You don't have to use mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was awful. That was worse than any of mine have ever well, you been. you know, I've never done it before. It's my first <laughs> try.
0: Hey, Mike. Yeah? Flip over that sand timer. You have 30 seconds to say goodbye.
1: Oh, God. <laughs>